All right, folks, Baruch Lurie on the Baruch Lurie Podcast. Thanks for joining in. As always, today, I've got a great uh, podcast friend uh, who speaks on so many great issues regarding Israel and the Middle East, generally speaking, Michael Mikolov. Uh, he's a fantastic guy. Um, he uh, He's very involved in the world of real estate and development and investments, and uh, I've got to know him uh, over time. And what I love about Michael is that he's uh, such a staunch supporter of, of Israel, but, but not just supporting Israel, but he knows his stuff. Uh, dare I say, Michael, that you know it better than I do. And I thought I knew it pretty damn well. So. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, Michael, welcome to the Brock Lurie Podcast. Thank you, Barack. I love you. And uh, I appreciate everything that you do uh, professionally. Personally, we've gotten to know each other so well. For You realize it's been over 10 years since we first met? Come on. That's impossible. Yeah, uh, it really has. And, well, uh, and I, appropriately, I, we, we, we met at a, uh, a pro-Israel uh, event. Right. So that, was, that was funny. Anyway, you were saying. Yeah. Right. And, and uh, no, I was just saying uh, you've been such an inspiration to, to me that I appreciate everything you do. Well, thank you. Thank you kindly. I really I appreciate those kind of words. Um, well, we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, in particular, I want to talk about uh, how the world is reacting to Israel. Uh, there are some very disturbing things that are happening. And, you know, had you and I, uh, Michael, decided, he had a conversation before October 7 of 2023 uh, to say, look, you know, we, we knew that Hamas was a horrible entity and, you know, virtually all of the terrorist organizations that are pro, uh, pro-Arab and, and anti-Israel, they're, they're really horrific, including Hezbollah. Uh, but if we were to get together and say, you know, if I were to come to you and say, Michael, what would it take for the world to finally realize that Hamas is just pure evil and to finally get them on board with Israel's side on this, at least on this issue, uh, at least the, the Israel-Hamas issue? And you would say, well, Barack, I mean, it's so hard. I mean, they would have to do something so crazy. They would have to, I don't know, invade uh, southern Israel from Gaza, you know, attack a couple of towns, just you know, burn it down to the ground, kill and rape and maim and and behead people and put babies in ovens and 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 not only that, Barack, they would uh, also have to film it all, yeah, and then and then load it up, uh, you know, upload it to the internet. In that case, yeah, maybe maybe the world would, you know, at that point they would start understanding that. Uh, and, and then also, of course, take back, uh, you know, hundreds of hostages back and uh, in deplorable situations and, and film themselves doing so, you know. Uh, and then I would say to you, yeah, but that's never going to happen, Michael. Right. <laughs> and here we are. Yeah, here we are indeed. And I, I mean, for us, it wouldn't even take an attack like that to know what we're dealing with. I would for have us, hoped yes. that for I would have hoped for most of the world it would have taken an attack significantly of less magnitude for the yeah. world to see it. What's yeah. astonishing to me though, is that the world can see what actually did happen and still continue down the path of this concept that Israel is somehow to blame for everything going on. It's mind boggling beyond words. It makes no sense. And the one common denominator I can only attribute to all of it is hatred towards the Jewish people that has perhaps been, somewhat quelled since the Holocaust. It's probably always been brewing. And, you know, over the last, 
I probably 10 to 15 years, it started to peak rear its ugly head again. And now they just figured, Hey, why not? We're just going to come full force at this point. Well, it's a great point. And look, they're not teaching the Holocaust anymore in schools. They're not teaching uh, even the concept of anti-Semitism or this, let, let alone the historical uh, concept of anti-Semitism, how ugly it is and how destructive it is uh, and, and how dangerous, of course, it is. But so, so you know, the, the quest, the desire to engage in anti-Semitism is very powerful. And it's not because there's anything particular about Jewish people, right? We're we're not even a race. We're we're a, a belief system, if you will. We love Israel. We love the Jewish people, and we love the culture and and traditions of Judaism. Uh, those these are the pillars of Judaism, as it were. The reason why, and to me, I'm very comfortable saying this. The reason why anti-Semitism is so prevalent, especially today, is because we hold the world to a higher standard, and we uh, insist that we live up to the Ten Commandments. People don't want to live up to the Ten Commandments. They don't want to live up to accountability of any kind. And so in that sense, if you've read the book, Lord of the Flies, Michael, have you ever read that book? I have not. Okay. Well, I'll describe it briefly. Um, it's it's a bunch of uh, boys that end up crashing. Uh, the plane crashes, they all survive. Uh, and they end up uh, going on this deserted island and they very quickly uh, realize that they have to seek help and uh, work out for each other. Uh, but very quickly, the, the 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 island, the boys divide into two groups, one that wants to seek help and, and get rescued, and the other that say, let's have fun, and let's not worry about anything. And they start, you know, taking off their clothes and wearing primitive clothes instead and, and putting on uh, paint on their faces to look like, uh, you know, primitive tribes and whooping it up and and start, you know, uh, praying to to gods, of course. And that's the division that starts happening. And very slowly, one by one, there's, uh, you know, people leave the the accountability group, if you want, led by this boy named Ralph, and they join the primitive group led by this boy named Jack. And eventually, Ralph is completely left alone. He is the only one in his group seeking to be rescued and, and for accountability. And they all hate him. And that's my point. The Jews are Ralph. We need to be rescued from the, the primitivism of the of the world. We need to attain greater things in, in life. God expects great things for us, but people don't want that, Michael. I, that people want to be able to not be accountable. They want to pillage. They want to rape. They want to uh, be unaccountable for anything. Uh, just let me do what the hell I want to do, and don't you tell me what to do. Yeah, when you have no foundation rooted in morals and what foundation of morals is there that greater than the bible yeah Old testament uh when you don't have that that's grounding who you are as an individual there's just anarchy and you can get away with doing anything you want you can justify anything you do uh under the roots of what you perceive to be good or bad or morally uh correct or incorrect and you have no source that you go to that gives you that kind of guidance. But the moral compass in our entire civilization comes and stems from the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. And somehow this new generation of, of kids thinks that those that that's irrelevant and that they can just do whatever they want. And right. It's, and, it, and, it, and they also say that they can be moral without, uh, without the right. Bible. 
It's very cute. They, they can have it all. You can do whatever you want. You could uh, sex it up with whoever you want. You can dress however you want, uh, as a man or a woman, of course. Uh, and you can say whatever you want. Um, and, and there's no uh, no moral compass whatsoever. But they still get to call themselves moral, which by definition is so bizarre. Because what is moral if if nothing nothing is moral, right? If there are no standards, then what standards do you actually live by? Anyway, the point is that a lot of people attribute anti-Semitism to envy and jealousy because the Jews, you know, as a people, have by and large done quite well, right? They they tend to be very representative in uh, the Nobel Prizes. They tend to be very well represented in academics and academia in the entertainment world. Uh, they tend to be wealthier in whatever country they, they end up landing in. And to me, that is not a sufficient answer uh, as to why the, the extent of hatred of the Jews. Because you can also say the same thing about Asians. The Asian population, at least here in America, have done very well for themselves. Uh, that they're, they're extremely successful, especially the Koreans. Uh, the the um, uh, the Nigerians come from, coming from Africa uh, are an extremely successful group of people. I, I, I truly admire them, by the way. Uh, they're black, uh, but nobody nobody hates them <laughs> because of their success. So envy and jealousy does not quite explain why there is anti-Semitism. To me, the only thing that I think explains 100% the depth of hatred for Jews as a people is this concept of morality, that we hold the world to a higher standard and expect others to do the same. So that, that's where we are. And, and this Hamas situation, what, what happened on October 7, Michael, is such a great example of this because, you know, in, in the hypothetical I gave you, our, our hypothetical conversation before October 7, uh, you, you and I said, oh, yeah, at that point, the world would, would agree with us. No, it turns out, no. <laughs> they, they want to pretend October 7, first of all, never happened. Uh, secondly, to justify it by saying, well, look, you know, you so brutally occupied Gaza, which is not true. Of course, 2005, we left Gaza. Uh, and therefore, they're doing what they did was was justified, it justified rage, as it were. So that that's OK. But uh, and Israel is, of course, supposed to tiptoe as it you know politely goes to every Hamas terrorist and asks him whether it's OK if we we kill him. Right. That That's what they expect of us. And, and also get it signed you know, by, by the Hamas terrorist. But look, look, uh, if you will, Michael, uh, I'm going to play some clips here from the Turkish um, public broadcast service. It's called TRT. And look how they describe the Hamas situation. Part of it, of course, they're, they're very biased, but nevertheless, they're actually talking accurately about the way the Arab world, particularly in the West Bank, uh, treat this whole thing. Let, take a listen. A recent poll conducted since Israel's attacks began in the besieged enclave showed the popularity of Hamas among Palestinians in the occupied West Bank has tripled and shown a limited increase in Gaza. The news didn't sit well with Palestinian Authority officials. Okay, so this is interesting for one thing because the, the Hamas's popularity in the West Bank has tripled, but it's been a marginal increase in Gaza. I wonder why, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> it's like perhaps because you screwed us up so much. It's so terrible. I, and that's like the, the 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 part about it that's the most mind-boggling to me. It's like, okay, you want to advocate on behalf of the Palestinian people, fine. Yeah. You want them to lead a life where they can prosper and succeed and, and live well. I get that. 
why are you not looking at their own governing body as the reason for the plight that they've experienced over the last 18 years? For the last 18 years, billions and billions of dollars have come into have come into Gaza for the benefit of the Palestinian people. The leaders of Hamas, who are all in Qatar, have, an, have amassed a net worth of $11 billion, and it's not for their entrepreneurial spirit or success that they've amassed that kind of wealth. Let's invest in these guys. <laughs> they've they've right. managed to criminally steal every dollar coming into Gaza for their own benefit, and yet make their own people live in awful conditions. But the world, instead of looking towards them as the reason why they're suffering, is looking towards a neighboring country as if the neighboring country has a responsibility to care for those people. When Israel left Gaza in 2005, they left enough greenhouses for them to have food sustainability forever. And they destroyed every single one of them because the reality is these leaders want no benefit for their own people. It benefits them to continue to perpetuate this war and to put their people in such poverty that all they do is uh, grow up hating the Jewish neighbors that live next to them instead of understanding what reality is. And you would think that the world could actually see through this because it's not a facade that's very complicated to unravel. It's actually quite easy. But to your point, it's this hatred towards Jews that blinds them and clouds them from something that would be easily evident uh, in any other situation. Right. Oh, that's a, that's beautifully stated. And the fact is that the Hamas has only one mission, only one mission, and and no other mission whatsoever. And that is the, the hatred of Israel and the destruction of Israel. It has no interest in sharing land with Israel, going side by side in any two state uh, scenario whatsoever. In fact, you could you could propose Israel could propose that uh, it swap land uh, directly with Gaza. That that Gaza would be Israel, and the Palestinians would have all what is, you know, Israel proper today, including Jerusalem uh, and the West Bank, and for that matter, uh, the Golan Heights, and and take it all, and they still would not be happy. They would still attack, you know, the Israel, uh, quote unquote, Israel in the Gaza Strip. There's, there, they will not, they will not rest until Israel is completely destroyed. It's so true, and for anybody, because I see a lot of commentary on social given that that's the platform that I'm I'm active on, there's so much commentary where they ignore history. You cannot ignore that in 36, 47, 67, in 2000, 2005, 2008, those were all years in which Israel extended a hand of peace or had an offer made to them to split land with their Arab neighbors, who, by the way, up until 64, the Palestinian identity wasn't a thing. They were Arabs. Uh, you have all these instances in where a proposal for a two-state solution was put out every single time the Jewish people accepted it, and every single time the Arabs did not. And so how do you make an argument that this has something to do about land? It's so absurd on its face, and it makes no sense whatsoever. And again, the proof is there and the evidence is there. At least it's there today. I'm concerned that the rewriting of history will make it not so 50, 60 years from now. Well, that's a hundred percent right. But um, the, the fact is that they, they do not learn any of this history. So you and I could, could speak to till we're blue in the face. The only people listening are fellow Jews and uh, some of our very good uh, Christian friends who are very supportive of Israel. Thank God. 
uh, and and some world leaders who appreciate uh, how good Israel is. And again, they're all Christians themselves. So it's it's good that we have them, but what happens when nobody's taught anything about what happened a week ago, let alone you know five years ago, let alone fifty years ago, as you're describing? Uh, they they only see the here and now. They hear that Israel is an apartheid nation. They hear that Israel is an occupying nation. That they are taking uh, this land called Palestine uh, that that never existed, but nevertheless somehow they they took it. Um, and that's the narrative that they play, and it's easy enough for them. And they certainly don't want to be told that uh, Israel is a moral country doing some great moral things for anybody. Uh, they certainly don't want to believe in that. Let, let's continue on, if if I may, about with the Palestinian Authority response to this. So they're talking to the head, one of the heads of the Palestinian Authority, who is very upset about this situation about Hamas, uh, and that it's somehow undermining uh, the Palestinian Authority. Authority. We do not take our guidance from directed, contrived, and fabricated opinion polls with a destructive agenda nor do we take our guidance from external forces or external pressures. Habash believes there is more than one hand determining the fate of the people. Hamas is not the only one who takes the Palestinian decision. There is a representative of the Palestinian people, and this representative is the Palestine Liberation Organization and President Abu Mazen. The poll conducted... Okay, so... Uh, he's... How many, by the way, how many yeah. government organizations can such a small group of people have? The PLO, PA, Fatah, Hamas. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, they're all vying for power, but officially it's the PA that is in control of the uh, the, the the Gaza Strip and uh, the West Bank. So they've got some real tsuris, as we say in uh, among our people, some real problems, uh, some worrisome problems. I guess it's the best translation. And the West Bank is now really uh, on fire as well. It's not, you know, people talk about Gaza all the time, but people are forgetting that the West Bank is really, uh, is a boiling uh, keg. I don't know if that's the right word to say, but it's about to about to explode. So let's continue on because they, they, they're taking more and more polling. Um, and I, I believe these polls, listen. ...by the Palestinian Center for Policy and Survey Research found 64% of Palestinians oppose the PA's participation in meetings to discuss the future of Gaza after the war. We have been under pressure for 75 years. How we broken? Has the Palestinian will been broken? Has the will of the Palestinian leadership been broken? By God, we face pressures that bore mountains, but we stood firm and are still standing and maintaining the independence of our national decision. Yeah, he, he reminds me of the Elton John song, you know, I'm still standing, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know what to say. I mean, there he's, you can see it on his face. You can't see it in this uh, podcast, of course, but you can see the worry in his face that bad things are happening and uh, he's about to lose power. And they really have, uh, they're going to have a real tough time. If Hamas somehow takes over the uh, the West Bank, uh, there, there are going to be some heads chopped, literally. Uh, from the Palestinian Authority, so I mean, they did it in Gaza. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. I, it's interesting because you and I sit here and we're talking about like the PA, and the reality is they're a mafia in and of itself. I mean, uh, Mahmoud Abbas has amassed a net worth of also you know hundreds of millions of dollars. They pay uh, terrorists for committing uh, murderous acts against Jewish people. And you're right. If they had an election today they would be outvoted as the governing party and they would be paraded dead through the streets. I have no Absolutely. doubt Absolutely. that that would be the case. Yeah. 
Look, the, the, the title of this uh, video is that Hamas is more popular now since October 7. And I believe that. Uh, you know, I, I don't even know that Hamas itself thought that it would have the repercussions, the, 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 the consequences that have flowed since October 7 that, that have happened. Uh, I, the world has really galvanized, not around Israel, but around Hamas, which is very bizarre to both you and me. But in hindsight now, it kind of makes sense. When you have a world that simply does not follow the Ten Commandments, does not follow the Judeo-Christian mindset, uh, you're going to have this. So let's continue on uh, because there's so much to comment on. Uh, it's about another minute or so left on this uh, particular uh, um, video. Here you go. And no one has the right to tell us what to do or not to do. The only one who has the right is the Palestinian people. Israel's war on Gaza has further exposed the popular decline of the Palestinian Authority and its policies, and many Palestinians consider it an irrelevant entity. And Palestinians are also highly suspicious of the U.S., and their views of Washington as a dishonest broker have been cemented. The American role is exposed. It is the one who leads the war, fuels the war, speaks on behalf of Israel, and sets the conditions. Our battle today is with Biden and the American government that leads Zionism. Wow. Uh, that That is fascinating because I have no doubt that he believes it. I think a lot of people believe this. They have been brainwashed extensively on this, but they, they believe that America is behind this. This is going to be another horrific thing for Biden and his administration coming up with the election. It's a very bizarre situation. I mean, I I don't mind any reason why the Biden administration will be undercut um, because of this, but I, I, I wish it weren't because of this, but it is because of this. Um, the Muslim vote is now seeking to boycott Biden, and uh, ultimately that will only inure to the benefit of Trump. That's not because Trump likes the, the, the you know, is, is somehow catering to the Muslim vote. Uh, it just is what it is. Um, so fascinating. Let's continue on with one more point. Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas's approval rating continues to sink. An alarming number of people want him to step down. Pro-Hamas chants filled the air at a demonstration held in downtown Ramallah on Friday by supporters of Hamas. Green flags and banners were overwhelming. I'm not satisfied with anything the authority does, and not just with its communication with the Americans. As the war on Gaza continues, the occupied West Bank is witnessing its deadliest year in decades. Palestinians say the PA is incapable of protecting them as the Israeli army intensifies its incursions. Since October 7th, nearly 300 Palestinians, including 70 children, have been killed by Israeli fire. And the majority of people now say it's only armed resistance that will bring an end to occupation. Wow. So that's the end of that clip. It's very interesting. And I want to get your thoughts on this. Uh, the I have no doubt that there's been an alarming amount of violence. Uh, and, and he says in decades, and I believe that um, in the West Bank, we're talking about not Gaza. This is the West Bank. Uh, things are going to get worse in the West Bank. And the, the pro Hamas movement there. Uh, will eventually overthrow, I'm concerned, will overthrow the Palestinian Authority. Not that I love the Palestinian Authority, but they're a hell of a lot more um, diplomatic and reasonable to work with uh, than than Hamas is. Hamas is very, very popular now, as you can see from this report. Now, how many people actually believe this or, or just saying it? I don't know. 
but I have to believe that there's going to be much more violence in the West Bank. So what do you think, Michael? Uh, am I off on this? Um, and, and if that's the case, what does Israel have to do vis-a-vis -vis Gaza? I don't think you're off at all. I think the pro I think that's uh, probably, you know, let's call it step five in this hundred step plan because you're already starting to see them plant the seeds of this is not just about Israel. This is about the West. This is about the United States. This is about the European nations. This is about radical Islam needing to take over the entire world in order to fulfill, you know, what they believe to be, you know, Allah's mission, so to speak. And so where does this end? Well, the whole world needs to wake up and realize Israel is fighting the war on behalf of the entire West, and that includes Gaza. And if it gets to the West Bank or Judea and Samaria, as I like to refer to it, then it gets to Judea and Samaria. And they're protecting and fighting for every single one of us. And it's astounding to me that instead of the world rallying massive amounts of support for Israel, they're condemning Israel because they don't realize it does not stop when they're done with the Jewish people. Now, they won't be done with the Jewish people. We will win. We will persevere. But the reality is, if they were ever to succeed in eradicating the Jewish people, do you actually believe that they're going to stop there, that they're not going to... Inf I mean, they're already doing it in Europe. Europe yeah. is Europe is completely smoked at this point, in my opinion. They, they've, they've put themselves in a position. I don't know how they come out of it. And the reality is they're starting to wake up to it, which is good. Um, but for some reason, there's a good amount of people in the United States, and it's growing, that aren't seeing reality for what it is. And the reality is, if it gets here, and if they make their way through the Jewish people, they're not going to stop. They will take over the entire world if they can. And that, to me, is the most alarming part of all of this. So yes, Israel has to keep the fight on in Gaza. Israel will take the fight to Judea and Samaria if if Hamas is in control. I mean, what choice do they really have? And, th and that's really, I know you and I talk about this a lot, but it's like you get into these discussions with people that have so many opinions when they come when it comes to criticizing Israel. And then you just look at them and say, well, what would you do? <laughs> exactly right. Well, they, they, that's when they, they, they are people with very little knowledge, but very big opinions. <laughs> that's that's the thing I that's the best way to summarize these idiots. And I was they, talking, they have no idea. I was talking to somebody the other day and he went into a 25 minute monologue about Israel's bombardment in Gaza, how they should be scaling it back. That yes, they have the right to defend themselves, but the way that they're doing it is inappropriate and that they should, you know, we've heard this narrative before. And I let him go for 20 minutes uninterrupted. And then at the end, I said to him, okay. Would you still be of the same opinion if your sister were one of the hostages in Gaza right now? Nicely said. Yeah. And yeah. it took him about 30 seconds before he could muster an answer. And the answer was awful. His answer was, I would go in there myself. Okay, well, that's not going to do anything. <laughs> but, right. but it makes no sense. It's like you, you have all these criticisms and that when you're put in the position where you have to think through now that this affects you directly or that you would have to be the one making the decisions, you don't have an alternate strategy because there is no alternate strategy. Well, yeah, it, it wouldn't matter. And then I, I want to propose a hypothetical to you. Um, it wouldn't matter what Israel does, how fantastic it uh, would be do, dealing and, hand, and uh, tiptoeing around the Hamas terrorists, going into Gaza, for example, and that little scenario I, I played for you where 
where the, the Israeli soldiers would would go up and approach a terrorist somehow and ask him pretty please would it would would he mind being arrested and uh put you know having him sign that accordingly and then taking him away in handcuffs one by one uh meanwhile of course being slaughtered by you know by by Hamas uh, but one by one, that's it. With, without killing anybody, let alone you know women and children and old people, uh, not even killing the Hamas terrorists, but going there and, and bringing them back to a court of law, even if that were the scenario, they they still would not accept it. Nobody would accept it. They would say that somehow Israel is brutal. They're, they're using their power to uh, wrongly uh, arrest these people. That these people did what they did because they have no other avenue of expression. Um, and resistance, so therefore they're they're wrong. It, it doesn't matter what Israel would do. Uh, the only thing and, that they want is to eradicate Israel. That's, Period. That's End of story. Yeah. That's all it is. But, but that's I'm talking about world opinion generally. Speaking. Yeah, they still wouldn't appreciate what Correct. Israel has to do and and the way that it conducts and and uh, prosecutes its war. Which brings me to the next point. One of the things I was thinking about while I was watching that uh, commentator, the Turkish commentator about the West Bank, was how the war is only making Hamas more popular in the in Judea Samaria, what what some people call the West Bank. Uh, and my concern is that as time moves on, it will only make Hamas more popular in the West Bank. What about this hypothetical? I mean, you know, taking a page out of the COVID crisis, what if Israel had engaged in a policy of fifteen days to flatten the Gaza, right? <laughs> so. What what about that? If, if they had done that and just totally obliterated, I'm not saying that, that I'm for that. I'm just saying, what if it just flattened Gaza within X period of days? It, it was super quick. Would that shut up the West Bank, the Judea Samaria? Would Because I, I, I think it would. I think it would shut up much of the world. It, it would a million percent. And here's the reason why. People, especially in the United States and in, in Western civilizations, they believe that you can solve all problems um, uh, through dialogue. And I and I want to be of that opinion too. But we're not talking about Western civilizations outside, at least outside of Israel. And these people only respect one thing. This is how the East works. The only thing that they respect is strength. And when you show that you're strong and the and the threat is very much real, that if they step out of bounds, that they will risk annihilation, then they will make sure that they work within their boundaries. But the moment that they feel that they have no consequences for their action, they can get away with whatever they want, and they will be able to leverage their propaganda to get world sympathy on their behalf, what would stop them from right. pushing farther and farther and farther? The only thing that they will ever respect is the fear of being retaliated against for their actions and that their actions have consequences. Right. And so it goes back almost to what you started this podcast with, which is accountability. You cannot take whatever action you want and not expect to have consequences as a result of it. And especially with this group of people, fear and the strength of Israel and the fear that that creates in them is the only thing that will keep them in line. That's and right. that's and and that's just the harsh reality. Like it, hate it, whatever. Um, th there's no way around it. Well, we know from history that diplomacy with a dictatorship, not not between democracies, but with real democracies, diplomacy with a dictatorship has never worked. Let, let me repeat, never worked. Okay. 
That includes, of course, Hitler. That includes anything that has uh, happened in the Middle East. It includes uh, the detente with the USSR, the former USSR. Uh, it, it will. It cannot work by definition. Diplomacy will not work. And again, if you want the proof of that, look at the Partition Plan in '36. The U.S. Uh, sorry, the the British uh, the Peel Commission in '36. The Partition Plan in '47. What Israel did after they won the 1967 war, what they offered in 2000, I mean, the list is endless. And the reality is, at the end of the day, this is what it breaks down to. You cannot have peace with a group of people that want you dead. That's, That's right. just well, the reality. It's a very different operating system. Diplomacy, the idea of diplomacy and the Americans and Europeans who think that diplomacy is the answer, uh, they, they fail to understand that it, diplomacy assumes that people want the same thing. They don't. The, the, the diplomacy suggests that people want to live in peace. They want the, to, to send their kids to school. They want to learn how to become dentists and doctors and lawyers uh, and, and, and whatever, electricians and so on, and that they just want to grow their society. It's just not true. People, true. Want, people want to destroy, in, in, the, in the case of most dictatorships, it's about power. I'm not even talking about just the Muslims at this point, the Arab world. I'm talking about dictatorships. Dictatorships want power. And, and they have, to, in order to achieve that power, they have to scapegoat uh, an enemy, in this case, Israel, uh, in the case of North Korea, it's South Korea, and so on and so on. It, it, they have to do it. So this is only about power, my friends. Diplomacy doesn't address that issue, and that's why it always fails. Let me, let me turn you now, because we, we have limited time. I want to be able to go to the uh, how the anti-Israel uh, concepts are, are kind of flooding throughout the rest of the world, particularly in America. Uh, the trend of, this is from townhall.com, the trend of radical anti-Israel leftists shutting down government buildings to demand a ceasefire now something which would prolong Hamas's attacks against Israel citizens uh, and give the Iran-backed terrorists a hope of survival has reached a new level on Tuesday when the rotunda of the United States Capitol was closed by authorities while they arrested and removed the demonstrators. Uh, Capitol Police not letting people through while arrests have been made. Uh, approximately 60 people in connection with the anti-Israel anti protest in the Capitol rotunda um, have been made. So... Uh, this is the kind of stuff that's happening. Uh, it gets very little attention in the news. Uh, I think most people listening to this don't even know that that happened. And that was uh, this past Tuesday. Uh, and yet when on January 6, uh, some people came into the, the trespassed, uh, there was nothing, you know, this, this is what they did on, on January 6 was far less violent than what happened uh, with these protesters, in my opinion. But even, even away, they, they, there have been only 60 people arrested. Do you think they're going to stay arrested? Of course not. So that's that's one thing. No, um, I mean, what was it on Wednesday or Thursday? Wednesday, I think of this week, they uh, hit a congressional Christmas party in Detroit. They punched this poor black woman in the face. Wow. Are those people getting arrested? Are they going to have consequences for their actions? You cannot allow people to take whatever action that they want that violates the law and not have consequences. And you also can't have a double standard. Right. Yeah. Like there can't be one set of rules for one group of people and another set of rules for another group of people because one group is considered, you know, the oppressed and the latter is considered the oppressor. I mean, th this this entire notion, it's such a false fallacy. Well, and we also kowtow to the the evils uh, and the threats of of uh, violence, such as what happened, I believe, in Sacramento, uh, when Gavin Newsom said, well, you know what, let's not have the Christmas tree uh, lighting. And for that matter, the menorah lighting. 
because you know it's only for the safety of Christians and Jews. You know, we just we we're looking out for you, right? Yeah. Which only means that, of course, that it, they're only emboldening emboldening those who would uh, uh, throw violence our way uh, when it comes to you know expressing themselves. That's the only. So go, please, by all means, continue to threat violence because you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We don't really like Christianity anyway, <laughs> right? So right. We're, we're just doing it for them. You know, but you guys can hide in your little Bible study groups, which we sometimes consider illegal anyway, mm -hmm. uh, and, and and your churches, which we will shut down if there's any sort of uh, national emergency, such as COVID. Uh, so they're trying to marginalize Christians, particularly with respect to their beliefs uh, and whether or not they'll marry people um, who are the gay persuasion or transsexual persuasion. Uh, you'll you'll be marginalized if you don't bake a cake or refuse to provide certain services because it's it violates your particular religious faith. Um, but this is a, a slow, you know, um, whittling down of of Christianity and Judaism, in my opinion, and only emboldens the bad guys. In this case, the pro-Palestinian uh, mantra is very powerful. It's far easier for a government official, American or otherwise, to uh, agree with the pro-Palestinian message. And to say something very watered down, like Israel has a right to defend itself, but it's always that. It's always the yeah, but. Always. Here, here comes the but, you know, the, bigger than, the, you know, uh, what's her name? Uh, Lizzo, you know, I, I, that that's a pretty big but. Okay. So I I have to worry that I, that this is going to continue on and eventually chip away. As you know, Michael, I, I think that our biggest concern here in Western civilization is the the end of God as the center of civilization. And I mean the Judeo-Christian God, not the Allah God. Okay, so uh, as we whittle this away, it's only inevitable that uh, more and more of this will happen. I, I, I rue the day that anti-Israelism and anti-Semitism uh, take center stage and that we become uh, the gypsies of the world no, nobody nobody will think of us anymore as a as a force uh, we will be marginalized to the point of distinction extinction rather um we're only 2.4 percent of america's population we're 0.02 percent of the world's population and we are more or less maintaining our actual numbers but our percentage is decreasing rapidly with every generation it's very scary let me continue it is scary. It is scary. Yeah. Let me continue on with, uh, you know, the, uh, in the university campuses, uh, we've, we heard, of course, the bizarre testimony from the presidents of Harvard, MIT, and uh, University of Pennsylvania, uh, the latter having stepped down and resigned uh, as a result of her comments. But let's face it, she was white. So uh, she, she was uh, invited to leave. Let's put it this way. But, but the Harvard woman, what's her name? Claudine Gay. Um, who is, as it turns out, gay. I mean, like, okay. It's like, call me Barack lawyer, I guess. I, I'm a lawyer. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, but now in addition to the bizarre comment that she made and how that you have to see everything in context and such like that, there's there's a bunch of plagiarism issues that she's now, uh, that are now dogging her. Uh, but, she, but Harvard is still continuing to support her uh, and this is from, I believe, the New York Times, amid a fresh round of accusations that she plagiarized other academics throughout her career. 
The newest charges have amplified questions about her research integrity and position at the helm of the prestigious Ivy League institution. Gay will update her PhD dissertation to add attributions for material in three spots, the school said Wednesday. But again, she was cleared of research misconduct by a board subcommittee. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if it were a Jew? I, like, I, grew, I grew up in a world that if you cheated on your exam, you got caught, you failed the class, you probably got suspended, and there were consequences. You didn't get to take an open book exam the next day to make up for it. Yeah. That's right. Well, Jake Tapper, uh, to his credit, who's, you know, he's he's no screaming Republican. Uh, I know that he's not, he announces uh, that he's not a Democrat either. He's he considers himself an independent, hates Trump apparently. But regardless, Jake Tapper is known for CNN. And he said uh, that this is a double, a clear double standard dilemma. Uh, quote, the big question I think in the future is how will Harvard be able to punish any students found guilty of the same offense without inviting a lawsuit? unquote. And, and of course, he's right. It's so obvious. But what a strange thing that that now we have to do these mental contortions. And, and it's like playing that game Twister. I mean, how do you how do you get out of this, Harvard? I mean, you, you have to fire this woman. You, you become a joke. And, and seven, you know, um, what is it? The early admission decisions for Harvard now have gone down 70% in one year. So that's an indication of the lackluster nature of Harvard and how people are no longer, you know, the, the sheen is coming off of the Harvard prestige uh, nature. And, and it's all attributable, in my opinion, attributable to uh, Claudine Gay. What do you so, think? So, so here, I actually have a little bit of a different opinion on this, which is that I actually think it's a good thing that Harvard is keeping her on staff. And I think it was a mistake for Penn. I think it was a mistake that Penn fired uh, their president. And here's why it gives the school at Penn, the ability to look at all their donors and say, Oh, look, we took action. Please put your money back into the school. I see. Okay. Okay. I, I get it. Uh, you like it because it's going to inevitably lead to the evisceration and perhaps destruction of the Harvard name. The decline of 17% next year might be 30%. The next year right. might be 50%. And all of a sudden, Harvard is no better than a community college. From your lips to God's ears. I I, I have to tell you, look, I, I went to Stanford. I don't think Stanford is as bad in terms of its anti-Semitism uh, and anti-Israelism as Harvard is, but it's it's certainly not the opposite of Harvard either. And you know, I, I really do think that the sheen is coming off of the um, the prestige of, of Stanford and Harvard and Duke and and all those schools. Not, maybe not Duke. Duke is actually pretty good. But Yale, you, you get the idea. The Ivy Leagues in particular, uh, with very few exceptions. MIT is one of the exceptions now because they got, you know, they're going to get rid of the president there. And not only that, but they're focusing entirely on merit, which I think is very admirable in, in the way that any university should be. But I think uh, great things are going to happen. There's going to be a major shift in the selectivity of certain schools and the prestige of certain schools. I think, for example, like, like Texas A&M um, is a great school. It's uh, I, I haven't been there. Um, I, I've never even visited the campus for that matter, but I, I know it's a very conservative school and they teach real stuff there. And it's getting extremely selective to get in. It may very well be that Texas A&M and schools like it uh, will be the new Harvards uh, in the future because they're going to be based entirely on merit, right. and 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 actually educating our children on the things that they need to learn. Right. And if I see somebody, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a lawyer, I have a law firm. If I see somebody that that came from Texas A&M and got good grades at Texas A&M, 
I'll think, okay, fantastic. This, this, this kid uh, got in on his own muscle and brains, as it were, his own merit. And uh, Texas A&M seemed to think that he was awesome. So he might be awesome. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it will be more impressive to me than, than a graduate from Harvard, let's say, right. for all those reasons. So you can only trade on your name and rest on your laurels for so long. So that's so. The, so yeah. if you feel that way today, assume that they clap, kept uh, Claudine Gay as the president for the next 15, 20 years. How much worse would your opinion of Harvard be over those years? Much worse, much worse. And yeah, this no, is why, and this is why I think it's actually better to keep them in because they keep them in, and and it gives every single donor everything that they need to say, "I'm pulling my money from this school, and I'm redirecting it to Texas A and M or right. some other school where I know that the children there are not being taught uh, hate and being indoctrinated, but they're actually learning the classical education." Right. We may have may see a very big shift here at at some point. Look, parents are are, are plowing it ton of money into the tuitions for their kids uh, at these schools and they're not seeing any real return uh, so if you send your kid to a harvard uh, and he ends up uh, you know having to be a file clerk um, at you know this or that you know business office and and is making very little money in fact less than what uh, you paid for his tuition for one year uh, then we've got a problem that, that's a huge problem. But if I you mean, look, I, I, I'm in, I'm in the real estate investment game. But if I looked at one of my investors who's considering coming in and investing with me, and I said, "Look, <laughs> there you go. you'll invest a hundred thousand dollars, and in four years, your hundred thousand dollars will be negative five hundred thousand exactly. dollars." So make go this it. investment; it's very worthwhile. Yeah, at some point, you can only play into the parents' uh, sense of pride that their child went to this or that school, this elite university. And, and be able to tell their fellow friends uh, at, at cocktail parties that their son went to Harvard or Yale. Uh, you, know, you can only play that so much if the kid is actually doing nothing with his life or getting very little uh, back or, and hates his job and hates America and hates his parents for that matter. Exactly. Then, then you know, it's a party trick at some point, uh, you know, and people eventually at these cocktail parties will, will, you know, kind of raise their eyebrow and say, okay, yeah, he went to Harvard, big deal. You want me to be impressed? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know I was supposed to be impressed. Tell me how impressed I'm supposed to be. Cause I'll play the role. It's very interesting. All right, let's let's continue on. Different topic altogether. Uh, big news about the list of people on the manifest for all the planes going to and from Epstein Island. Um, that's going to be coming out uh, January 1st, apparently. So I wonder whether that's designed to kind of be to have the news blunted because everyone will be drunk on January one or hang, having a hangover. Uh, and they're not really interested in the news at that point. I don't know, but this is a big, big deal. And uh, there's, you know, some, some victims have of course asked to not be uh, revealed on this. And I think their wishes will be granted on that, but nevertheless, there's also, and there's so many people, at risk here. Uh, I understand Bill Gates is at risk. I understand Bill Bill Clinton is at risk. Uh, so many others, of course, but also uh, Hunter Biden. <laughs> he's he's at risk. And, and man, I, Michael, he he's the drug guy, right? The cocaine guy. He's the prostitutes guy. He's the adulterer guy uh, who 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 adult who adulted, if that's a word, with his brother's wife. I mean, I, and then as a widow of, of his brother, you know, it, it's amazing to me. And he's the influence pedal guy. 
Now he might be the pedophile guy as well. I mean, this man is is E, right? But you know what? He's like a Renaissance man when you think of it, right? I mean, look at all the things he can do. Can you do all those things? I don't think so, Michael. No. But anyway, what what do you think that the the impact of this will be? Uh, Assuming that they actually release the names and they don't play funny with these things because there's a lot of pressure not to release the names. Uh, It it has been more than four years since uh, Jeffrey Epstein was was killed. I mean, suicided. I mean, I don't know. Um, so it's, it's been that long, uh, until the release of these things. I thought it would have come out, you know, half a year or later at the, at the most, but here we are assuming that it comes out. What do you think the ramifications will be? I think it depends on how honest people are willing to be with the simple underlying rule that if you do something bad, you should pay the consequences for doing that bad thing. And if it's so quaint, are, Michael, really quaint. <laughs> and and ahead, if you're on one political party versus the other political party, the law uh, should be blind to the political party. You break the law, you pay the consequences. Unfortunately, I think it doesn't when it doesn't fit the when the person that is the subject of the crime doesn't fit the narrative of the broader um, opinion or the media's uh, agenda, it's going to go away. I just, I, unfortunately, I don't think that, I think it's going to make noise for a few days. I think the conservative media sources are going to be talking about it at length. Obviously the broader media sources won't. And the question becomes, where is this point of inflection where the masses say to themselves, I am done being lied to, and now I'm going to pay attention to these things. And well, that's a great point. Or will, or will it be, will it go the way of the October uh, seven? Uh, phenomenon where it is so bizarre, so outrageous, so out there that people won't even believe it. It's it's so absurd to them. Yeah, uh, they they were willing point. to believe whatever they whatever they're told because they can't imagine that Bill Gates would have been a uh, you know engaged in pedophilia. Let's I, we don't know yet, by the way, uh, but there's rumors to that effect. We'll see if it's true. Um, but anyway, there's that's what I've heard. Bill Gates is uh, sorry, Bill Clinton as well. Hunter Biden. We just talked about that. And so many others. And I suppose their defense, Michael, will be, well, yeah, I was on the manifest. Um, or I guess the the ultimate defense would be, I don't know how my name is there. I wasn't on it. Uh, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm a, I'm, an, I'm a victim somehow. Or they, they say, yes, I, I went to the island, but I, I didn't do any of that nonsense. I was there for business purposes. I was talking to Jeffrey Epstein because he wanted to want and dine me about uh, an investment project that he had. This doesn't prove that I engaged in any nefarious conduct. That's Barack. That's- would you would you be surprised if they came out and said it was the occupation of Israel and the Palestinian territories that's the fault? That's, <laughs> that's the true. reason that this exists. <laughs> when in doubt, always yeah. blame Israel. That's, yeah. No, I wouldn't. It was we were there to discuss uh, Israel <laughs> and its horrible occupation of Gaza yeah. and the non-occupation. But nevertheless, you know, it, whatever. I, that's hysterical. Yeah. It's, Look, I, I I don't know. It, We'll <laughs> I think it will be very big news, though. Uh, I do think that there's going to be a lot. The question is, will this impact the election uh, when so many of these men that went there were Democrat? I, I'm sure they'll find one or two Republicans. God forbid if, if Trump is on that list. I don't I don't think he will be. But that's what people want. Well, and is it so bad to say that if Trump were on the list, that the response should be exactly the same? Right. I, I mean, no, it, it, again, it's it's. 
I don't care if you're a Republican or Democrat. Don't break the law. Don't engage in this. For type sure. Of no, I, I'd be surprised if he's yeah. on. But I will yeah, tell I agree. you right here now, if I found out that he's on the list and that there was proof uh, that he engaged in that nefarious conduct, I I, I will no longer support him. I, right. As much as I think he was a fantastic leader uh, and president in the 2016 to 2020 uh, time period, I, you look, we, we just can't have him. It, it, that's evil. And this is the part, and the, but this is the part that discredits the youth, I think, and, and the and the masses on you know the extreme left. It's just like you said earlier. It's a yeah, but situation, right? It. It's yes, it. this happened, but here's the justification right. for it, and we'll find any justification out there if it's the person that we want to support. And it's it's like at some point you have to be willing to say there are certain activities and actions that will constitute a lack of support for that person on a go forward basis. And that's it. That, that's right. That's one of them. That's for sure. <clears throat> Look, uh, going back to Trump now, they, they, we we are seeing an enormous popularity for Trump. And that's not surprising to me. It's not surprising to you. No. Um, and they don't know. I mean, I, the Democrats don't know what to do about it, except put roadblocks time and time again, right? Looking to remove Trump from the ballot in Colorado. Like we just saw, there was a decision that came out uh, just a couple of days ago saying that uh, they're going to remove him. Uh, but of course, it, it doesn't matter for them because it, it won't really have that much significance at the end of the day because the Colorado Supreme Court also stayed their order to remove him from the ballot pending the appeal, the inevitable appeal to the United States Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court will, the United States Supreme Court will uh, indeed reverse it. I expect a nine to zero decision regardless of the existence of liberals on the Supreme Court. I, I think it has to happen because uh, I mean you have to think it consequentially. If if we're true that you could uh, uh, remove a candidate off the ballot because you perceive him to have engaged in an insurrection without any charge of such an insurrection, let alone a conviction of a, of an insurrection, then why not take Bi uh, uh, Biden off of the ballot altogether, arguing that he's let this flood of immigrants come in? Uh, arguing that he has obviously taken bribes uh, and, and and payoff from China and Ukraine and Romania and God knows what other car, you know um, countries. I think he's taken payoffs from the cartels. How about that? I, it, it's the only thing that explains to me why he's letting the border be overrun as he is. That's that's truly the only only thing. Um, people talk about voting and everything else like that. I think there's that's a small aspect of it, but. Uh, no, the cartels paying him off. They got billions of dollars. I think he could become a very wealthy man as a result of this. So anyway, why not take him off of the ballot for those reasons? I mean, anyone can be taken off the ballot for any suspicion of anything. So right. that's why- It's, gui it it's guilty be before being proved innocent. Exactly. And, and look, Colorado, what the Republican Party has said is, okay, fine, if you do that, we'll just go caucus and we'll decide that way. And Trump's going to win. And and even if it was a um, uh, you know a voting in the regular way, uh, trust me, the write-in candidate, the write-ins for Trump would overwhelm, and he would still win. Like like what happened with uh, uh, Suzanne Murkowski, I think, in Alaska. Do you remember? Right. She yeah. ended up having to be a write-in candidate, and she right. won. Yeah, not by a hell of a lot, but she still won. And you think that, and and Trump is a hell of a lot po more popular than she ever was. So he's still going to win these states. You cannot defeat this man. And that's 
what I love about Trump. And I, I, I think that the, and I'm curious to hear your opinion. I can't remember where I heard this, but I heard this interesting argument being made that the move that the Colorado Supreme Court made uh, that inevitably, to your point, is going to go to the uh, uh, federal Supreme Court. If the federal Supreme Court votes 6-3, which would be a partisan ruling, right, as opposed to 9-0, which would be unanimous, right, then we've effectively set the stage for an election that no matter what the result is, the other side will claim it was rigged. That's right. Uh, I, I Look, I agree with that 100%. Uh, even I do believe that the three liberal justices will still be on the side. At least two of the three liberal justices will be on the side of of Trump, uh, and, and they will argue that there has been no due process associated with this. This is an inappropriate taking of uh, that the rights of Trump uh, based upon conjecture and not even um, uh, not even an indictment against him. Let's hear, however, what. Uh, your friend, uh, President Joe Biden, has to say about this particular thing. Well, I think you said maybe you're self-evident. You saw it all. Now, whether the 14th Amendment applies, I'll let the court make that decision. But you certainly supported an insurrection. There's no question about it. None. Zero. Okay, so <laughs> look how desperate he is, right? I mean, he says that uh, he's going to let it to uh, give the give the uh, the courts to decide this important issue, whether or not there's a violation of the Fourteenth Amendment. But uh, there's still no, you know, the, 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 there's no doubt about it. Zero zilch or whatever he said. That's fascinating to me. I mean, so the guy clearly wants to take a partisan approach on that. What he should have said is, look, no comment on this. Uh, you know, I guess the courts will have to make the decision here. But then he has to opine about this. There's a reflection of incredible fear in his face as as you hear him speak, but uh, maybe that's my subjective impression. What do you think? I'm of the opinion that uh, until the, all the evidence is out, you don't pass judgment. Even when the Trump uh, Russian Russian collusion case was out, I had friends that were like, "Of course he's guilty. And he did this." I said, "Let's wait to see what the special yeah. report brings." You can review the material because right now it's all conjecture and speculation, and we don't know all the details. You can't rush to a judgment without having all the information in hand. Same thing in this scenario. And by the way, if you swapped out the name Trump with the name Biden in this scenario, my answer would still be exactly the same. I can speculate. I can assume that I know how this thing played out. But until all the information and in the investigation is done, you don't have all uh, what you need in order to make a decision on this. And the, and the concept of of saying there's no doubt about it. Okay, that's my opinion. But the reality is we have a judicial branch of government for a reason. They're the ones that are responsible for reviewing this and, and ultimately coming to a conclusion and decision. And until they do that, my opinion is irrelevant. Well, we do have a judicial system, but I think it's fair to say we have a carve out for the uh, anything that's anti-Trump. So Correct. Know, fairness, you know, we, we do have to have that division of our country. Right. <laughs> Uh, but but he is enormously popular. They're very worried about it. And like I predicted in my most recent podcast after the Colorado Supreme Court decided, as it did, that this would just embolden other states to seek out any means necessary to effectuate the same thing. California has done this, saying, uh, and, and the uh, assistant attorney general in California has said, uh, find any means possible to get Trump off the ballot from a legal standpoint. Now New York is seeking to do the same thing. Um, and then, of course, in the media circles, 
uh, they don't he hear themselves in terms of uh, the double talk, right? So Joy Bayar from The View, uh, she tweets that, or she X to whatever you, quote, Joe, the ballot box can't compete with the third party candidates who will take, take uh, votes from Joe Biden. And let us not forget the electoral college. The law must defeat him. Okay, so, whoa, <laughs> like we've got to, we, we can't possibly uh, rely on the people to make a good decision. We have to destroy this man. So uh, by how, how, does, how, how does our society, how does our republic, how do the people in this country not become infuriated when you hear this and you're here, what you're really hearing is they're trying to take every single right away from you in deciding who the next president is going to be because they want to create a system where you can't even vote for the guy. So eliminate the potential risk of him actually winning, which, you know, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't, but we're not even going to go there because maybe we were cut off guard in 16 and we didn't expect him to win. And it's just, these are our rights. This is what we're, one of the things that makes America the greatest country in, in the world and we're not living under a, dict a dictatorial rule. And yet you have these people that are effectively beginning to lay the groundwork to get us to a point that we're in a dictatorship. Yeah, that's right. Well, I, I think it's fascinating. I mean, look, we're having the same situation now playing out, uh, you know, and they understand what's going on. If you're in the market to buy a home, on, you need sorry, a mortgage lender. Uh, do you need, are you in the market for a home? Well, there you go. That's our commercial Bye. for the day. Uh, anyway. But but blacks for Trump, uh, it's a it's a real thing, and I, I think it's fascinating because they are now appreciating what you're saying. I think that they're they're the most clear on this. They see this the most, especially the way that Trump has been ramrodded. Their experience in the judicial system is not at all as good as the mainstream white population of America. I, I think that's fair to say. I'm not saying that it's terrible across the board for all blacks and it's always the case, but I think it is fair to say that historically blacks have uh, been marginalized when it comes to the judicial system. And so when they see Trump, even though he himself is not black, when they see him being ramrodded by the judicial system, that resonates to them. And that's why the head of Black Lives Matter, at least one of the divisions, I believe, uh, is now fully on board with the Trump train. And he said uh, this is uh, that's must must have sent a real shockwave to a lot of the black community. And anyway, now Trump is enjoying 20 percent or more of the black vote, whereas previously uh, the, the average amount of the black vote it was nine percent. And uh, on a good day, it was 12 percent. I think I think Trump won 12 percent in 2016. Now he's at 20 plus percent. You can't win an election. Uh, where the Republican is getting at least 12%. So he's way above that number. Uh, and I think uh, the Democrat Party has a whole whole bunch of surahs on its hands. Yeah, the question becomes what happens over the course of the next year leading up to the election? Yeah, we've got, what, 10 plus months at this point. Um, a lot of things can happen. There's no doubt about it, uh, including Epstein Island. Uh, that's an issue, including the impeachment of Joe Biden, uh, which yeah. we didn't get to talk to uh, too much about. And we we won't have time to talk about. But the, this this popularity of Trump is fascinating. Uh, and indeed, their uh, desire to destroy him by legal avenues is understandable because Joe Biden is now um, at 11 points 
less popular than wait for it, wait for it, than Jimmy Carter was at this wait. point in his campaign. What a terrible in, benchmark. In, in 1976, <laughs> uh, in 1980, rather. That's how bad, okay? He's indeed the uh, most unpopular president uh, since World War II, okay? That's that's quite an achievement. And yet he goes around saying Bidenomics is fantastic. There's no issue at the border. Inflation's under control. Afghan uh, the pullout from Afghanistan done. was done as as uh, as seamless as possible. You're the thing of beauty be. when you think about it. Yes, yeah. that's right. Uh, man. Uh, and then, of course, going to the immigration issue, you've got uh, the humiliating census figures um, released in New York, which showing that New York has a massive exodus leaving because of the policies of New York State. Uh, it's even worse than California, apparently. California is pretty bad, but New York City is also uh, suffering a massive exodus. And uh, Eric Adams doesn't know what to do it, about it, right? So uh, so what does, he, what does he do? He blames the exodus, not on his policies, not on Democrat um, ease with uh, homelessness and crime uh, or the immigration influx. Of, of people. No, no, no. He blames it on rats. All right. <laughs> so because New York City in particular has a rat population uh, that is uh, concerning. And so he's decided that people are leaving New York City because of the rat population. Right. But the rat population was it was always a problem for them. It was always. But now yeah. they're leaving it now. Right. That That's the thing. And, and could it be that the rat population has increased because they just simply don't have the sanitary, sanitary systems in place uh, that uh, sadly a lot of the immigration crisis and the homelessness crisis have, have also created a, a, you know, an environment that invites rats to come along. But either way, it's certainly not just rats. Uh, it's one of many things that uh, New York is suffering from. Look, uh, at the end of the day, Joe Biden is extremely unpopular. They're doing everything they can to, to, to avoid Trump. And when people say that Trump's got no shot at 2024, I, I have to laugh because if he's got no no problem, no no chance at 2024, then why are you hitting him so hard? I mean, let, let's face it, had it not been for Trump running for president, do you think that any of the indictments would be in play right now? Do you think any of the, the lawsuits against him would be in play? No. Not a single one. Yeah, it, it, it was. it's so bad and so transparent that they... New York City actually created a special law. Well, I would call it a bill of attainder, which means a, a law that's designed to affect only one person. Um, but they, they made a special law to lift the statute of limitations on allegations of rape and sexual misconduct so that that woman, I forget her name, uh, could claim, could bring her lawsuit against Trump for uh, allegedly sexually abusing her, for which she got a judgment uh, against Trump some time ago, I think about a year ago. You remember that famous story? Uh, so that they had to do. I mean, the, the, the teaming up, the ganging up against Trump is so palpable and so bizarre that I don't even know where to begin with this. Meanwhile, the immigration crisis is getting way beyond. There was a point where uh, Biden has said that they're going to they understand the problem and they're going to they're going to start building the wall again. Well, I don't see them building the wall. This was about a month or two ago that that he promised to do so. Nothing is happening. And I see a lot of the news. You look, I look at conservative news media, uh, Fox News, Newsmax. I'm on Newsmax myself quite a bit, uh, and other news outlets. And the conservative websites 
and uh, outlets all talk about the border. You can see the videos. The, the videos don't lie. And now they're actually filming themselves as if it as if the trek to to come to the border is is a joyous, almost campy experience. You know, you know, you should come too. Have fun in the process. Never mind all those rapes. Never mind all those you know brutal beheadings and and murders that that happen along the way. Don't worry about that and the theft of your possessions. No, no, no. It's fun. It's just a lot of fun. And they they actually have background music to it and everything else. Anyway, millions are coming across the border since Biden has. Uh, become president. Uh, it's now 10,000 a day crossing the border. And they pretend it doesn't happen. And if you do look at CNN, and I do, and MSNBC, they they give it barely a moment's notice. They talk about, you know, and uh, Biden wants to do something about the immigration. He's, he's going to kind of focus on that a little bit. And then they move on right away to the terrors of Israel, you know, the, the horrors of what Israel is doing in Gaza. But I, I don't know that it doesn't work for them, Michael. This this ability of theirs to, to just not talk about something and then just wish it away. Even though the videos are all there, even though the people are in, in Texas and California and Arizona are, are all seeing it happen, even though they are being flown to New York City and Chicago and all the other so-called sanctuary cities, and people are suffering with it. They pretend it doesn't happen. It's it's an amazing thing to me. Amazing. You you and I maybe scratched our heads, raised an eyebrow when we were told that Germans didn't know about Jews being put into these concentration camps. How could they not know, we said, right? But but at least the German government, the Nazi government, was was hiding it from people. But these guys, I mean, it's it's in plain sight, and they're all they have to do. Apparently, all the Germans have to do is simply say, "Well, it's not happening," and and didn't they didn't have to get, engage in any hiding efforts whatsoever. And here we are. I don't know. Is it is it going to be? I mean, I I know so many intelligent people on the left, and and you know you know, intelligent, informed, educated, highly educated people on the left, and you talk to them about the immigration crisis, and they say, what immigration crisis? Correct. That's highly exaggerated, Barack. Correct. What, how do you respond to these people? I uh, I do my best to show them the information that counteracts their uh, uh, thought process that they've been, that they themselves have been indoctrinated into because they only follow one side of the media. And, and I'm like you, I mean, I... I don't listen to to the traditional media sources. I usually will listen to long form podcasts, but I listen to both, right? I listen to yours. I listen to Ben Shapiro's, but I also listen to like the Pod Save America guys that are very much on the left. And from there, I understand what narrative they're being told. And then I hear the narrative that the folks on the conservative side are being told. And it's as if you're living in completely different worlds. Yeah. Right. And fairness to the conservatives, they address the things that the left is talking about. And then they follow it up with, here's our opinion of those things and why we may disagree with them. But to your point on the left, they won't even acknowledge it in, yeah. in any way. And so to that, I'm thankful for long form content like this. I'm thankful for as much as social media has its problems and it's got a lot of them. It's given people a path to access information that goes beyond the traditional sources that they were limited to in the past. And now they're being able to see things. I mean, how many liberal Jewish 
people do you know that after October 7th are saying, oh my gosh, I had no idea that it was like this. Yeah. No way. <laughs> right. Yeah. Welcome to the world because we've been telling you this for years. I mean, you and I have probably been called conspiracy theorists for saying that, uh, uh, the Palestinian, the pro-Palestinian movement wants to eradicate Israel, and that's not true, and and that there's no proof to support that. And here you go. And so those are the very people that are saying, I, I had no idea. And I'm hearing a lot more of the I had no idea. And that's giving me some hope, actually. For Yeah, look, I, I, I'm one of four children in my family, and my three siblings, uh, I love them all, we're very close to each other, but I'm the only conservative among them. The others are different stages of, uh, I wouldn't say extreme left, but but staunchly left. Let's put it that way, staunchly left. And very proud to be staunchly left. And even this, uh, the, the Hamas attacks has really galvanized uh, unity among us, uh, at least on the political realm and uh, the pro-Israel realm. But, uh, but I guess there's no but there. They, they are really, they, they understand that Hamas must be defeated, it must be destroyed. Uh, there are differences uh, between us and among us about how to effectuate uh, the destruction of Gaza and, and what is appropriate, what is not appropriate. I, I for example, believe that uh, there are going to be consequential collateral damage of innocent people, maybe even the hostages, when it comes to what Israel has to do. But that is, uh, that is what it must do. And we can't, uh, we can't lead our war in Gaza based upon uh, making sure that absolutely no eggshell is broken. We simply can't do it. There will be buildings destroyed. There will be hospitals destroyed. There will be schools destroyed. There will be innocent people destroyed. Uh, now, we can we can quibble about whether those uh, the, the remaining Palestinian population is, is also innocent. Uh, a lot of them want the destruction of Israel just as much as Hamas does. They just don't have the capacity or the strength to engage with them, but they they are very happy to see the the, the efforts of Hamas as it as it did um, on October seven, and you could see that from the video when the hostages were actually paraded around the Gaza streets. Uh, you know, the, the Palestinian community came out. They they didn't uh, wag their fingers at Hamas, not at all. They they spat on the hostages. They slapped them around. They were you know, uh, throwing their arms in the sky in jubilation. Bad stuff. Okay, last yeah, question. I mean, was the third wave was all civilians that came in and did her and horrendous acts of violence against the Jewish people. It wasn't Hamas. Yeah, a lot of them were kids. Yeah, uh, There was one as, as young as 10 that they know about uh, that actually came in and did some horrific things. Uh, a 14-year-old, uh, you know, wrote to, uh, sorry, called his dad, and they have a recording of it, uh, bragging about he, how he killed 10 Israelis yeah. by his own hands. Um, it's so horrific. It's just things that you never would think could happen in the 21st century. Uh, some things that you would, would think would be relegated to, what, the 9th century? Uh, okay, but but today, the things that, that we're seeing... And and that's why and and for anyone who says that these are the type of people that you can sit across the table from and have a conversation yeah. to resolve your differences, it, it's just I I can't think of another word other than stupid. And I hate to use that word because I try not to, but it's just that's the only word that comes to mind when I think how do you think it's possible to have a conversation? No, you have to exhibit such a level of strength that you put the fear of God in them that they will never 
ever consider doing such a thing once again. You know, if, if Jeffrey Dahmer had been a government, I know he's dead now, he's been killed in prison, but um, had he been a government, right? Just take that person and make him a government of a, of a land. And everyone did what he did. You know, in other words, everyone said Jeffrey Dahmer. Did, would anyone say that, hey, look, we need to, to talk to this, this country, this Jeffrey Dahmer country, we'll call it Dahmerland, and, uh, and negotiate with them to see how things, how we can work things out? Of course not. I mean, it would be insane, but that's what we're dealing with right now with Hamas. Okay, last question for you. And this is a very important one, one that uh, has dogged me quite a bit. Will the war in Gaza and now Hezbollah in the northern part of Israel, will it extend? Will it proliferate? Will it expand? Uh, and if so, how so? I think it's going to get to uh, Lebanon. I don't think that there's a way around that. Uh, the uh, Hezbollah has gotten too uh, too dominant in the south of Lebanon for Israel to ignore it anymore. I mean, they've removed 30 plus thousand uh, Israeli civilians out of the north of Israel because of the threat. Um, I also actually think Lebanon wants Israel to go after Hezbollah. They don't want Hezbollah running running the show there anymore, right? This you know legacy Christian Lebanese country that is beautiful. Um, they deserve better, and they want better. And they, I think, they realize that the only way they get there is with Israel. Um, so I think for the Israel's protection, uh, I don't think that there's a way around a war with Hezbollah after after this situation with Hamas is resolved as to whether or not you know the broader powers of Iran and the others get involved i actually think that's going to be a calculated decision on their part uh predicated on two variables first uh is israel weakened as a result of the conflict militarily and do they feel like they can take advantage of it i think the second variable that comes to play is uh uh is the world still against Israel? And can they further exacerbate that if they launch an attack against Israel? So if they feel like they have the world support from a PR standpoint on there, and more importantly, that they have the military capability and they're looking at Israel as a weakened military, I, I absolutely think Iran will engage. I don't see why they wouldn't. I mean, they must be looking at this and saying, this is the most opportune time for I'm us to go in. Down. We've attacked them. We've we've exposed their weakness. And the whole world loves us as a result of it. Sure, yeah. let's do it. If you are ga gathering around in a conference room, you know, the, the evil conference room, like the, the beginning of the, the, the naked gun, the original naked gun scene, right? Yeah. The evil leaders of the world are, are plotting some sort of evil act, right? If you had that, looking at the world stage, or at least the stage in the Middle East with Israel and Gaza and, and the way the world is reacting to Israel, you would have to come to the conclusion that this is the moment. This is our greatest moment of opportunity against Israel. And it, to use a, to, to, to bastardize a, a great Israeli phrase, which is, if not now, when, right? Imloak Shav Matai. Why wouldn't they say that to themselves? Why wouldn't they say, look how we're, we're routing them from the north and from the south of Israel, uh, and we can wipe them out now. Um, look at look at how America is not responding to our 100-plus attacks upon American interests in uh, Syria and Iraq. Um, 
this is our moment. Let's do it, boys. And the second thing, <clears throat> which we didn't quite talk about, but which is very important, they can't afford the risk that Trump or any Republican, but especially Trump, becomes president in November 2024. Right. So they've got about 10 plus months by which to perform their most evil, evil deed that they can imagine and get away with it. This is their moment. So I'm very concerned about it. I think that, you know, on an unrelated, well, on a very related matter, uh, China will seize, say the, see the same opportunity when it comes to Taiwan. Uh, but we're not going to get into Taiwan right now. The point is that in the Middle East, I think the profiglation, if that's a word, uh, is going to happen. It's going to happen. And they want it to happen. I mean, Iran is doing all these attacks upon American interests for a reason. They're, they're testing America. And we are not responding the way that they... Uh, the, that they expected or thought America might respond. If it were Trump, he would have already obliterated a couple of cities in Iran. He, yeah. That's clear. Yeah, Maybe but again, action with no consequences, you're emboldening them to take more action. Right. And they're just getting more and more emboldened by it because they know that it, America will do nothing. So look, I mean, it's, it's so basic. Uh, so I know, I know you're like a, a master chess guy. Do you think that Iran has blundered by not fully engaging up until this point, meaning they had Israel on its heels because Israel was complacent, let's call it like it is, uh, in their defense, and they managed to get much farther than they thought they would. Why have they not pressed so far is is a thought that I constantly have, and I don't know that it, I don't know that I have an answer other than they don't know what America's response will be just yet, and they're gauging that as we speak. That's probably the only rationale justification I can come up with, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts there. Well, remember a couple of things. One is Iran it does not have great transparent information when it comes to intelligence. That's one thing. Second, uh, nobody thought that Hamas was able to do what it did on October 7th, uh, including the Israelis. They, it turns out that they did know about these plans, but dismissed it as just an impossible thing that would never happen. Uh, third, uh, Hamas itself didn't know that it would achieve the kind of mayhem and destruction that it did. I, th I think that they went in there hoping to maybe kill 100 Israelis and take 10 hostages, and that would be a great success in their eyes. Instead, they killed, what, 1,500 uh, Israelis and did a brutal wounding of many others, and then, of course, took 250 hostages back. Uh, so that was wild beyond their dreams. I think what did happen was that Hamas even talked to Hezbollah before the attack, maybe a couple of years before the attack, and said, look, we're going to do this. Do you want in from the north? And Hezbollah probably also thought that Hamas would not be able to pull it off, that the Israelis would figure this out. And so uh, they said no. But once Hamas did what it did, then I think that's the moment where people said, oh, okay, uh, I'm going to get involved. It's it's a little bit like uh, you know Google stock went way way up all of a sudden, or Amazon went up, and suddenly people realized it was a winner. It was not the loser that everyone claimed it to be, and I'm going to invest in this too. And they're a little too little too late. But Hezbollah came from the north, and they saw their opportunity, like we've been talking about. Iran is now seeing its opportunity. I hope that answers your question. I think that's the reason why that they you know, look. We we always know that the Arabs always miss an opportunity. Uh, they, they, they they miss it from the side of peace, then miss it from the side of war. 
Uh, Jordan missed it in uh, in the 67 war, and they missed it in the 73 war, the Yom Kippur war. In the Six-Day War, they missed it by actually going into Israel. That was their big mistake. Uh, in the Yom Kippur War, they, they missed their opportunity by not going into uh, to Israel. Yeah, arguably the outcome would have been very different if they had. Very, different. very, very different. So the, the level of intelligence, uh, both figuratively and literally, uh, among the Arab leaders in particular, is very weak. Uh, and I and I include not just the Arab leaders, but also Iran, because Iran is not technically an Arab country; it's a Muslim country. But it also hates Israel the same way. Uh, so that that to me explains the why uh, and the timing of things. But now Hezbollah is taking its advantage. Uh, Iran is now taking its advantage as well, and this is their moment. And and I think both Israel and America, but especially Israel, needs to see, has to start thinking like what Hezbollah and Iran is thinking. All the more reason, I'm not, and, and, and now I'm gonna put aside the the um, uh, civility issue um, and the, 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 the issue of being uh, uh, generous and kind and compassionate to the Palestinians. If, if they were to totally obliterate Gaza in a matter of days, just kind of firebomb it like we did in Dresden, uh, and, and that could be done in one day, if not only a couple of hours, because uh, Gaza is only so big as, as after all. Uh, then there would be no Hezbollah uh, effort. There would be no Iranian effort. Uh, now, of course, we do have to take into, into consideration that Israel cannot do uh, these kinds of things. It's just not possible. It's not within our DNA, the Israeli uh, government, and for that matter, the citizenry of, of, of Israel. It just can't do it. Um, but time is is not a friend to Israel. I'm not even talking about world opinion. I'm talking about what you brought up, Michael, which is that uh, the Arabs will see an opportunity. Um, and, and so long as they think that Hamas has the possibility of surviving the attack upon Gaza, they will uh, enter into the fray as well and make it as difficult as possible for Israel. So... Uh, Israel has sadly only one choice, which is to utterly obliterate not only Hamas, but all the infrastructure that uh, otherwise would allow another terrorist organization or dictatorship to run Gaza and the West Bank. It has no choice. It must continue on and pulverize uh, Gaza to the very end. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. My good sir, Michael Michalev, um, Michalev, thank you so much for being with us in the uh, Baraklari podcast. You, your, your insights are fantastic. Uh, will you come back with us again? Because I, I so enjoy having you on the show, and and uh, we really, we like to tout ourselves as a show that with with great insight and analysis, and I think you provide that. I will be on as often as you have me. You'll have me, and I'll have to make sure that I bone up on non-Israel politics as well. <laughs> Very good. All right, my friend. God bless. Thanks, Rock. God bless you. Brecklery signing off saying God bless. And we'll talk with you next week.